Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come into your house and to preach your word. And we pray, God, that it would find fruit in our lives. Help us to see the word of God as the absolute truth in this world and help us to obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to preach to you on the subject, the true church. The true church. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 13. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increase with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not thou that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked? I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with thyself, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. These are familiar verses that we've heard for many years. And it's very representative of the spiritual condition of too many churches and too many people. It's representative of too many so-called Christians. The man-made schemes, the man-made methods, the man-made programs, the man-made religion, have invaded our churches and must be rebuked and eliminated. Heresy has entered into the gates of the church. The Lord's church cannot be a well-oiled piece of machinery run by well-oiled men with slick, crafty, and lacking the message of salvation and the power of Almighty God. The Lord's church is not a man-made church and a man-run organization. But the Lord's church is a God-breathed church. You can't separate Christ from the true church. And you can't separate the true church from Christ. Because the true church brings truth and life to others. God is bringing about change. The do-good religions of social reform and worldly philosophy, empty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, are being shaken up. 
The Holy Spirit is invading their territory with a powerful visitation. The Holy Spirit is giving people an opportunity to see truth for themselves. The Holy Spirit is giving people an opportunity to count the cost and come out and be separate. It's truth versus religion. Based on that truth, the truth of God's holy word, many people are making their decisions today. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17, Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Jesus Christ is forming the church. Jesus Christ wants to be expressed through his church. Jesus Christ is the head and we are the body. Your personality is expressed through your body. But how much more does Christ want his personality expressed through his body of believers? A church should be an expression of Christ. A church should have Christ-like qualities. Some may ask and say, why? Because Jesus loved the church. Because Jesus cared for the church. Because Jesus had compassion on the church. He was involved in the church. And he was committed to the church. Jesus was not half-hearted. He committed his life unto death for us. He was a total commitment. And shouldn't we serve him totally? Especially since he died for the church. You know, the church is sacred this morning, my friend. The church is a place of security. The church is a place where we can come and shed our hearts and, and bring our tears to the Lord. The church is a safe haven. And Christ died for that church as we assemble in his holy name. Praise the Lord. The question is this this morning. Why is the Holy Spirit revealing Jesus? Why is the Holy Spirit revealing truth? To show people two things. That they're lukewarm and nauseating toward God. Proud and self-satisfied, ignorant of their true spiritual condition, wretched and miserable. God wrote these words to the church. He didn't write these words to the world. He wrote them to the church to show people that they are poor, mere beggars chained to traditions, ceremony and legalism and formalism, chained to their man-made religion that gives no life but brings death unto them. To show people that they are blind, blind in their heart, blind in their ears and eyes and blind in their minds. To show people that they are naked, defenseless, no power, no equipment, no armor. They have been stripped by the devil and they don't even know it. That's right. So many people claim to know God. And if that was true in America, why is the immorality in America at an all-time high? If we're a God-fearing nation... We would have God-fearing behaviors emitted in our streets and in our homes, even in our churches. Praise the Lord. Why did God send the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus? To show people that Jesus Christ is forming his true church. There's never been a time where people are more interested now, as I see on the internet, concerning Jesus and the coming of the Lord. People that I never thought would be interested in the rapture of the church because people who are Christians and who love God are putting it out there on the internet for them to see and to peruse and to think about 
And people are thinking about the coming of the Lord. People are thinking about the end of the world. People are thinking about World War III. People are thinking about all these things. Why? Because the true church and the true Christian, praise God, is transmitting these messages, praise God, to the people out there in the world and saying, Jesus is coming. And we're not ashamed of our faith. We're not ashamed of our church. And we're not ashamed of our Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus is coming. And you're getting the attention of people, my friends. Keep up the good work. Hallelujah. A church that is Christ-like. A church that has Christ, praise God, as its people. Those in the church who don't want the church, who don't want Christ, who don't want this Christ-like life, will feel uncomfortable. They'll feel unwanted. And sooner or later, they will lose their salvation if they have it, and return to the vomit that they were once delivered from. It's biblical. It's going to be an apostate church. There's going to be a people that are going to leave the house of God and leave their Lord. There's going to be a people that once believed in that cross and the shed blood of Christ. It's hard to understand. It's hard to really understand the concept that people could leave Jesus that people could leave the, the house of God, that, that people could just turn their backs on God because of this world. But that's what the Bible says. There will be an apostate church. There will be a one world government. There will be a one world religion. There will be a one world church. And many people that used to darken the door of the church and raise their hands to God and praise their God, hallelujah, will be part of that apostate church. Isn't that a shame, my friend? That's why God warned us in the book of Revelation about the Laodicean church and the Laodicean age that we're living in. People are not mindful of God for the most part. He's a distraction. He's an addendum. He's an appendix. Something we really don't need right now because we're too busy with pleasure. We're too busy pursuing. We're just too busy for God. Praise the Lord. Those in the church who, who don't want this type of Christ will be driven from the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. But God's true church, and listen to this, and this is the message. But God's true church will have a greater end than its beginning. I'm comforted by the words of Haggai the prophet in Haggai chapter 2 and verse 9. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former saith the Lord of hosts, and in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. What's God saying? The Lord is saying that he's now preparing the house. He's now preparing the church. And my friends, let me warn you, this is the calm before the storm. And I'm going to say that again. This is the calm before the storm. It's the formation of the true church. It's the formation of the remnant church. You have read on the internet, governors closing churches, closing Bible studies, closing down prayer meetings while we have abortion clinics open. Come on, friends, think about this for a moment. Look at the hypocrisy. While we have thousands of people rioting in the streets and that's okay, but when a group of people want to come to the house of God and praise God and sing the songs, hallelujah, that they love so much to exalt the name of Jesus, we are being condemned by courts, by governors, and by judges. 
I want to tell you, my friend, this is the calm before the storm. This is the persecution that's going to come to our country if we don't turn back to God. I know people don't want to hear that on Sunday morning, but my friend, it's coming to your city. It's coming to your town. It's coming to your hamlet and your village. It's coming to our country if we're not careful to stand up, praise God, and say Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords and nothing else will stand in our way. Decisions have to be made about choosing salvation and not some dead, dried up, boring religion. There must be a coming out. There must be an exit from spiritual death into a marvelous light. There will be a coming out for some and that will precipitate persecution in the land. Listen, you've heard this preacher say, people don't care if you talk about God. The world doesn't care if you talk about God. The Wall Street Journal and the New York Times doesn't care if you talk about God. But when you mention the name of Jesus, and you mention the blood of Jesus, and you mention the cross of Jesus, and you mention John 14 and 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father except by me, by Jesus. Then all of a sudden, the ears of the editors... The ears of the governors, the ears of the mayors, the ears of the politicians begin to perk up and say, hey, do you know what they're preaching down there? They're preaching about Jesus. Why are they so offended about Jesus? Why does Jesus send them into an earthquake and a tornado? Why? Because he is the truth. And people who are doing wrong do not want to face the truth. They don't want to hear that kind of preaching. They don't want to come to a true church that can set them free by the power of the living God when we preach the truth and we worship our God. The end of this, of this age is going to have certain characteristics. Number one, there's going to be a recession and there's going to be an economic collapse. I'm telling you, this, this is the calm before the storm. No one wants to hear that. But all the signs are pointing to that. All the signs of debt. All the signs of overspending. You know in your checkbook, if you have $100 and you spend $300, you are $200 in debt. And we all know, because we've all been in debt, how hard it is to catch up and make up for the $200. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You can't put more air in the balloon and not expect the balloon to explode. It's impossible. It's impossible. And when you see the price of gold and the gold and the price of silver skyrocket, skyrocket. Like I said in February, I wrote about it and said, watch the price of gold and silver. Gold now over $2,000, highest it's ever been. Silver, $26, up 40%. My friends, Central banks, governments, countries are buying gold and silver. Why? Because it's an insurance against economic recession and economic collapse. People say, Pastor, I don't want to hear that. All I want to hear is prosperity. I believe God will take care of us. But I believe the rain falls upon the just and the unjust. What's the characteristic of this society? A flood of immoral filth. We haven't seen What's coming down the pike, my friend? 
We haven't seen, we haven't witnessed the flood of immoral filth that's coming. Children are going to end up hating their parents. Children are going to end up hating their parents. They're not going to leave home. They're going to stay home to torment their parents. Violence in the street, we've already seen that. Timothy warned us that there come perilous times in these last days. And then there'll be a persecution madness like there is in foreign countries. They will be. And we don't want to hear that as a church. But we must address it. We must look at it face to face. And we must be prepared for that subtle persecution that has already entered into our country. Trying to close us down. Trying to minimize us. Trying to shut the doors of the church. And shut down prayer meetings and Bible studies. And shut down the doors of a choir. And shut down the doors of a pastor's mouth. We have to be aware. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 says this. This know also. I didn't write this. That in the last days. And if you don't think you're living in the last days. You're in some rabbit hole somewhere covered up with dirt. That in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul wrote to Timothy and he warned him and he said, Son, over 2,000 years ago, preach the gospel. Tell people that in the last day, perilous times shall come. And I'm here to tell you as a pastor... Perilous times are here. And it's time we get a hold of God. It's time we get a firm standing in God. It's time that we become settled and grounded in the word of our God in Jesus' name. Can you say amen this morning? Amen. Some people say, well, what about the church, Pastor? You're sort of painting a gloomy picture. Well, let me continue to paint that picture as God has outlined this morning. What about the true church? Haggai chapter 2 verse 9. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, what are you saying? Hey, listen, Solomon experienced the Shekinah glory of God. People fell out in the spirit, hallelujah, in the Old Testament. The singers praised God like voices of angels singing unto God. The power of God came like a cloud in the temple. And God is saying through the prophet Haggai, Hey, expect the Shekinah glory to fall one more time. Expect the cloud to pass by one more time. Expect the spiritual dust, hallelujah, to settle upon you one more time. Expect, hallelujah, that the latter house shall be greater than the former house, saith the Lord. God's word does not lie. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. The persecution will purge the church. Like it did in the early church. The persecution will draw true believers together. You see, it was the persecution that allowed the early church to grow, believe it or not. It was the wind of the Holy Spirit 
and the power of God and the persecution in the early church that moved the Christians out of the upper room and then from the church in Jerusalem throughout the whole world. They were scattered abroad. The early church worked miracles on the doorstep of the devil. Just read the book of Acts. And if the glory of the latter house is going to be greater than the former, I'm expecting the book of Acts to have a reenactment, my friend, in the last and final days of our lives. The early church died to self. That was a big thing. The early church felt the hatred of Satan. What about the church today? It will be greater, hallelujah, than that of the early church. It will die to self. The true church will. It will be committed. It will be consecrated. It will be dedicated and holy unto our God. It will be persecuted and hated of the devil. It will be hated by the world. But praise God, it will be a powerful church. It will be strengthened by the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that Christ will walk, hallelujah, through his church. Because Christ is the head. And we will be the expression of Christ, hallelujah. The Bible says in John 14 and 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. What's God saying? God's saying, believe my word. God's saying, don't be distracted by reports and by news clips. Don't be distracted by what the enemy is doing. But be attracted to the works of God and to the word of the Lord. Be attracted to praise and, and to worship. Be attracted to truth. Be attracted to those things that speak the word of God and the promises of God into your heart and into your spirit. This is what God's saying. The Lord will not forsake his church in the day of evil. That's worth saying again. I said the Lord will not forsake his church in the day of evil. Psalm 37 and 16 precious verses in the Bible. It says a, a little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. Look at verse 19. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine... They shall be satisfied. Thank you, Lord. I didn't write that. I didn't write that. But I believe that. I've never seen the righteous forsaken and his seed begging for bread. Somehow God's always made a way for his people. Somehow God has always pioneered a trail for his people. Let me take you on a little tour here this morning. Let me give you some nostalgic history of your God, of my God, of our God. 
in the word of God. Let's look at the Jewish people in the land of Egypt in the Old Testament. When God judged Pharaoh and the land of Egypt, he poured out numerous plagues. Do you realize the Jewish people were living there also? Probably to the total of almost 3 million Jewish people. Think about that for a moment. Picture in your mind the land of Egypt. And picture in your mind that there's two sets of people. You have the Egyptians and you have the Jewish people. And the Jewish people are totaling now almost 3 million people. When the plague of blood came into the Egyptian water, no blood came nigh the Jews' dwelling. Did you just hear that? Mm. When frogs invaded the land and homes of Egypt, no frogs came nigh the dwelling of the Jews. Did you hear that? When lice invaded their land in Egypt, no lice came nigh the dwelling of the Jewish people. When flies invaded the land in Egypt, not one fly came nigh the dwelling of the Jewish people. Not one fly. When pestilence and boils and hail and fire and darkness and death came upon Egypt, none came nigh the dwelling of the Jewish people. That's history. That happened. And who are we to say that God will not do that again? Who are we to say that we, like the Jewish people, the true church, the true Christian, born again through the blood of Jesus Christ and through the name of Jesus and through the cross of Christ, who are we to say that God will not pour out his power and his spirit and his anointing on us as he did the Jewish people in the Old Testament when we read by the prophet Haggai that the latter house is going to be greater than the former house, my friend. Hallelujah. I'm just waiting, hallelujah, for that power to fall in a way that's unprecedented. Let me continue the journey of nostalgia here. The Jews... We're going to learn that Christ walked in their midst. They were going to learn that he was their total source and supply. Tuck that into your spirit this morning. We're going to learn that Jesus is going to become our total source and supply. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be prudent. It doesn't mean that we should not be prepared. I know there's a lot of people saying, oh, God will take care of us. But God expects something from you first. And then when that is exhausted, then the miracle working power of God falls upon us. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? God expects us to be prepared and to be ready, praise the Lord. But when that's exhausted, God will take over. Well, how do you know that? God will keep us, hallelujah, as long as we believe he's our total source and supply. What did he do in the Old Testament? He fed them in the wilderness for nearly four decades while God's oven baked overtime. 
Come on. God's oven was baking overtime for almost four decades. That's a lot of bread. That's a lot of pancakes. Hmm. He gave them water for nearly four decades. Hmm. He gave them air conditioning by day, the cloud by day, and he gave them heat at night, the pillar of fire at night. Come on, what kind of God gives air conditioning during the day and then turns up the heat during the night because he doesn't want his children to be cold? I didn't write that. It's history. It's history. Huh. He gave them heat by night, air conditioning by day, and their clothes for 40 years never waxed old. Simon's socks never stunk. Are you here? I said Simon's socks never stunk. And Mabel's shoes never needed a deodorant. Think about it. This is your God. How big is your God this morning? How big is my God this morning? How big is our God this morning? Is our God the same God that did these things for the Jewish people? For 40 years, they needed no hospital. They needed no doctor. God healed every disease and there was not one feeble among them. History. God's doing. And yet we sit with our thumbs rolling back and forth, wondering, is God even here? And what is God doing? And will he take care of me? But that's not the end. You see, Egypt became bankrupt. You know why? Because God told the Jewish people before they left to go visit the homes of the Egyptians and get their back pay. The jewelry, the gold, the silver, the bracelets, the earrings. Come on, my friend. Hallelujah. There was a big collection taking place. It was the biggest offering, hallelujah, in those days because God said, it's time to get back pay. <laughs> Doesn't that make you laugh? Doesn't that, like, spur the... The tickle bug of humor Amen. in your life. To think that God said, hey, before you go, I have some business that you need to tend to. You know all those bricks that you made? Remember those hot days? Remember all that? Remember building them buildings for Pharaoh? Remember the slavery? Remember all that? Go get your back paid. 
Oh my. People still doubt God. And we still doubt that God will be our total source and supply. Some question, will he provide for his church in the last day? I go back to Haggai chapter 2 verse 9. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Here's what people are going to worry about. People are going to worry about a gas shortage. People are going to worry about an oil shortage. People are going to worry about a food shortage. People are going to worry about travel. I'll get to that in a minute, my friend. They're going to worry about it. Because they're already worried about it. Do what you can to be prepared and to be ready and be prudent. A prudent man sees ahead. But never forget the unseen hand of God when the gas tank gets empty. When the cupboards get bare. Hear what I'm saying to you this morning. This is biblical. This is Old Testament. My friend, he turned water into wine. Who does that? Can you do that? Can I do that? No. But at the marriage of Cana, He took water that people washed their hands in that had dirty particles in it. And he took that water and made it clear and made it into wine so that the bride and the bridegroom and their families would not be ashamed and embarrassed. He could turn water into gas. He could turn water into oil if necessary. He fed the Jews from heaven. He fed thousands with a few loaves and a few fishes. He will feed his church supernaturally in the last day if it comes to that. Now let me get to this part which will blow the minds of people that will view this sermon or hear it. You remember Philip? When God sent him down to the Ethiopian eunuch? (laughs) You remember Philip, right? And when he was done with the Ethiopian eunuch and he baptized him and led him to Christ, God spoke to Philip and he said, I have another assignment for you. And he said, this is going to be like a zip line. I'm going to put you on like a zip line. And Philip, it's going to kind of be like a precursor to the rapture of the church. Because I'm going to lift you up from where you are. And I'm going to translate you and transport you to where I want you to be. No, I know that's going to blow the circuits in people's minds and say, Ooh, this preacher, he just gone crazy. <laughs> Read it for yourself in the book of Acts. If it comes to the place where you can't travel, get prepared for a happy ride. 
I said, get prepared for a happy ride. Right. And you won't be holding on to nothing except the hand of God. And you'll be going through the air like, woo, and you're not going to be Peter Pan either. Hallelujah. It's going to be you like it was Philip. And people say, Pastor, I can't believe that. Then you can't believe in the rapture of the church because Jesus is going to defy the laws of gravity and he's going to pull you up off this ground and send you, praise God, in the moment of a twinkling of an eye. You can't even blink that fast. And you're going to be on the streets of gold looking into the face of your king and your Lord into the face of Jesus. Some people say, well, I don't believe that, preacher. Then, then forget it. You're not going to heaven. The laws of gravity keep you to the ground. God's going to defy the laws of gravity. And you're going to go up. doesn't matter if you believe or not. It doesn't shake the faith of God. Because God's going to do that. And maybe quicker than we know. Who knows? No one knows the time or the day. But the season sure does look right. I said the season sure does look right. It's kind of like a farmer who says to his wife, Honey, look out the window. I, I see a storm coming. And she says, How do you know that? Because she says, He says, You're married to an old farmer. I've looked out this window for 40, 50 years, and I can tell you, honey, there's a rainstorm of coming. That's right. <laughs> Just believe the old man. And guess what? Farmer's wife said, you're right again, old man. There's a storm coming. And let me tell you, this old man is telling you today, look out your window, because there's a storm coming. I said, come on, my friend. I said, there's a storm coming. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to fall upon this world. That's going to fall upon the church. That's going to fall upon our nation. It's the power of God. Hallelujah. One more time, God is going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. You're either going to get the spirit of judgment because he said he would pour out his, of his spirit upon all flesh. He doesn't make mistakes. Either we'll get the spirit of judgment or we'll get that spirit of that glorious Shekinah glory power of God upon us because we're part of the remnant true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want that power to fall upon me. I'm here to tell you this morning, my friends, that the church will be victorious. I'm here to tell you that the church will overcome. I'm here to tell you that the church will triumph. I'm here to tell you this morning that the church will be the church and let the people rejoice. And for all this to happen, there has to be a transformation and a change on our part. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm pretty sure that some of you listening to me this morning have been drawn to God and to his word in a way that you have not been drawn to in the past. There's an earnestness in your spirit. There's an eagerness in your spirit to want to know God more and better. 
People are praying more. People are reading the word of God more. People are taking time out to spend time with God because they're beginning to realize that the end of this age could be coming to a close quicker than we think. And people want to be ready for the second coming of the Lord. I see time and time again people on the internet putting this copy and paste saying that they are a Christian, that they love Jesus Christ and they've been saved and that they want to be ready for the rapture of the church. And I, I see it all over now. And I see people proclaiming their faith. I see people proclaiming their love for God and for Jesus that you never really saw before in years past. But you're seeing it now. It's like phenomenal. And some people you thought that would never come to Christ or never put that on the internet and put that on their Facebook page are now proclaiming unashamedly that they love Jesus and they want to be ready and that their sins are forgiven. There's something that happens to you when you know people that maybe you've worked with, that you've been friends with, that, that maybe you mentioned the gospel to them or, or told them about Jesus. And now you see the fruition, praise God. And you see the seeds are growing, hallelujah, into seeds of salvation. And now they're proclaiming publicly that they love God and love Jesus. How much of you found yourself lately being drawn? Haven't you found yourself lately become introspective, reevaluating your life and saying, where am I going? Who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? And where do I stand with God? Haven't you been asking yourself certain questions? Maybe not exactly those words, but don't you sense an earnestness in your spirit and an eagerness to want to get closer to the Lord? to read the word and to pray and to praise and to give God time every day, especially in those moments of loneliness and desolation that the enemy barrages us with, moments of fear and devastation that comes to us through oppressing spirits that tell us we're not gonna make it, that tell us that God doesn't care, that tell us no one cares. And we know that's a lie. As we seek his face and turn to the word for safety and for love and for comfort. What changed? I'll tell you what changed. It was the wind of Pentecost. After the wind blew in the upper room, boys became men. Girls became women. Lambs became sheep. And sheep became preachers. And preachers became missionaries. My friend, let the wind of God blow in our lives. Let the wind of God blow in your life. We need the wind of God to blow one more time through the church. Let the wind of Pentecost blow out everything in your life that is contrary to God. Listen, we hold on sometimes to things that are not very valuable. We hold on to things that have no eternal value. 
We hold on to things that we think are secure posts. We hold on to things that will burn like fire and hay and stubble one of these days. Our prayer should be, God, blow out everything that's contrary to the word of God. Blow out everything that's contrary to the Bible. Blow out everything that's contrary to what your truth stands for, Lord. Lord, start with our tongue. Start with our mouths. Like Isaiah, the prophet, when King Uzziah died, the hot coals came from heaven and touched the lips and the mouth and the tongue of the prophet Isaiah and cleansed him and prepared him for a closer walk with the Lord. As the Lord said, whom will I send? And Isaiah responded after that experience, Lord, send I. It's time that we allow the wind of Pentecost to blow into our hearts, to let the wind transform our body, soul, mind, and spirit, to allow the wind of God to change us. And change must occur if Haggai chapter 2 verse 9 is to be fulfilled, that the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former. We must submit to the potter's house. We must not hide any longer behind a fig leaf. We must expose ourselves spiritually naked before God because he knows us already. There's nothing hidden that shall, be, that shall not be revealed. There's, there's nothing that you can hide behind a tree with. He knows your thoughts, your comings, your goings, your laying down, your rising up. He knows you better than you know yourself because he created you in your mother's womb. <coughs> Let me take a moment here to consider two men of God and how it applies to the church of Jesus Christ today, the true church of God, the remnant. In Acts chapter 3 and verse Number one. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. Prayer meeting is so important. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. He never walked. He was born lame. Verse 3. Who seeing Peter and John go about to go into the temple, asked alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. Wow. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. I'm sure money. 
Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. How do you tell that to a crippled man? How do you tell that to a man that's been lame since he's been born? How do you tell that to a man that has been picked up every day and laid at the gate? Beautiful, what a scene. At a beautiful gate and a crippled man begging for money. Did you ever consider? You think someone took him to the outhouse during the day? Did you ever consider the stench? And the smell of a crippled man being picked up and carried by his family outside the beautiful gate of the temple to beg for money so that his family could live? Look what it says in verse 7. And he took him by the right hand. That's the hand they're telling us that we can't shake anymore. Because it's the right hand of fellowship. Everybody knows that. See the subtle works of the enemy to put a mask on our face so we can't talk and express, to keep our hands in our pockets so we can't shake hands for fear of the plague. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't go by the rules at this moment. But one day the church will break out. I said one day the church will break out. And we will greet one another with a holy kiss. And we will greet one another with the right hand of fellowship. And we will speak as the oracles of God under the power of the Holy Spirit and under the power of Almighty God. Listen, my friend, the day will come when that will happen. Mark that in your book. He took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple. Walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had, had happened unto him. How does that apply to the last day church? They picked him up by the right hand as his ankles and feet strengthened. Listen, it's like a child walking for the first time. And they were holding his hands because I'm pretty sure he was a little bit wobbly for a time. And they held him so he wouldn't fall. They knew the miracle took place. But the right hand of fellowship was extended to keep him steady. Now you listen to what the pastor is telling you. There's going to be some days when you become unsteady. All right, come on. 
Come on now. You, there's going to be some days when you're going to become unraveled. There's going to be some days when the tears are going to flow like a river down your cheeks and you're going to wonder in what atmosphere you're living. There's going to come a day when you're going to get a little shaky. Hear what I'm saying? There's going to come a day. But if you look at the verses, the church, hallelujah, in its moment of unsteadiness, hallelujah, the church will be picked up by the right hand of God and God will speak and say, peace be unto you. And he will steady the ship. He will steady the boat. He will steady your home. He will steady your life. And he will steady your emotions. Like that man was lifted up. The church will be lifted up by the right hand of God. And like that man receives strength, the church will receive strength. Hallelujah. And like that man who finally stood, the church will stand. And not only will it stand, but it will leap and it will praise God as we enter into the house of the Lord. As the Shekinah glory of God falls one more time, giving praise to our God for the miracle working power of God in our lives in the last and final hours of our lives. The church will not go out needing a blood transfusion. The true church will not be on a ventilator. The true church will be breathed on by the power of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen. We will enter into this world one more time before Jesus comes, ministering for the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the people, whether they want to know it or not, whether they want to proclaim it or not, whether they want to believe it or not, all the people will see us walking with God and praising our God with our holy hands lifted up to our God, being ready, hallelujah, at an immediate moment to be raptured by the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. But in the meantime, the true church, the remnant church, will rise to its feet and receive the strength from Almighty God one more time because the latter house shall be greater than the former house, saith the Lord. Let us pray. Praise you, Father. Praise you for your marvelous works and wonders and signs that you have already given to us in the Old Testament and in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament. And so God, write on the tablet of our hearts one more time, a reenactment of the book of Acts in the lives of your people, in the lives of your church, the true church of Jesus, the remnant church, the church of the believer, the church that still believes in the name and the power and the blood of Jesus Christ that 
still believes in the power of the cross, that's the church that we're referring to. And Father, we pray that your hand will sustain us and keep us, as Jude said, from falling in these last days like many are falling. Keep us strong. Keep us united. Keep us, O oh God, in your fire power, in your keeping grace. Put us under that mantle of love and power. Put us under your banner. Hallelujah. The banner of love. Put us under that banner where the anointing oil is poured out upon our head and goes down, Lord, to the bottom of our feet as the body comes together in unity as you anoint your church one more time to meet the powers of the enemy eyeball to eyeball and face to face to bring light to expose his darkness and evil works. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for listening.